So this will be my first podcast uh, lecture-wise, and the lecture will be on the anatomy lecture we had on May 19th on the superficial and deep back muscles. This is really to get me through uh, the six-hour drive back to Auburn So for the Memorial Day weekend. So the class objectives were, after reviewing the lecture material related to the anatomy of the spine, the students should be able to identify bony prominences that can be palpated in the spine and limb girdles that relate to back muscle attachments, name the attachments, motions, and nerve supply of the superficial and deep muscle, back muscles, describe the location and spinal attachments of the thoracolumbar fascia, and describe the boundaries of the suboccipital triangle and the contents contained within. So I'm just running down the PowerPoint right now real quick and talking it through basically. So the organization of the back muscles, there's two types of back muscles. There's extrinsic or superficial uh, which also includes the intermediate layers. And then there's intrinsic, which is the deep layer. So the extrinsic back muscles, uh, again, superficial and intermediate layers, are responsible for moving the upper limbs and ribs. And they attach uh, from the vertebral column to the ribs or upper limb skeleton. Um, on the other hand, intrinsic back muscles, or the deep layer, are responsible for moving and stabilizing the vertebral column and head. And they maintain posture. So as we can see, there's two main different, or there's two important roles that each one of these plays. The extrinsic back muscles are responsible for, uh, again, moving the limbs and ribs, while the uh, deep muscles or the intrinsic back muscles are tr uh, mainly to maintain posture and to stabilize the vertebral column and head. So of these muscles, we have the, um, the of the superficial uh, layer, which is part of the extrinsic muscles. Uh, we have the trapezius, the latissimus dorsi, the rhomboids, and the levator scapulae. Of the uh, intermediate layer, we have the serratus posterior superior and serratus posterior inferior. Finally, with the deep layer, we have the splenius muscles, the erector spinae group, the transversal spinalis, and then the intrinsics. So he's just going over some basic muscle anatomy where origin is the fixed point where there's lesser movement. Traditionally in the limbs, there is proximal it's the proximal attachment, while insertion is the mobile end, and traditionally is the distal attachment. Um, but he states that mainly he doesn't like the terms uh, origin and insertion because it can be easily confused depending on if actions are concentric or eccentric. And after taking a kinesiology course, I can kind of see where he's coming from. My uh, kinesiology professor did not like that either. So some important bony prominences before we get into the superficial back muscles uh, really have to do with the scapula and um, a little bit of the uh, uh, pelvis as well as the ribs. Uh, so some large uh, landmarks that you can see uh, superficially is the uh, uh, of the scapula as the uh, scapular spine, the medial border, and the inferior angle, which are all important because there's some attachments to those um, points. The uh, chromium is also important as well as the greater tuberosity. The ribs are also important because we have those intermediate groups, that intermediate group that helps um, with respiration. And then finally, we have the iliac crest, which you can actually palpate on yourself. It's, um, well, I mean, you can just find it. And then the uh, posterior superior iliac spine, which also plays a role in attachment. Uh, we have the nuchal ligament. Nuchal is Latin for neck. It goes from the tip of C7 to C2. 
and the tissue behind it and behind that air in that area that fills it in is the nuchal ligament. It provides stability to flexion. Moving down, uh, we have the trapezius, which is our first uh, of the superficial uh, back muscles. So the trapezius attaches to the external occipital protuberance all the way down to T12, including the nuchal ligament. Uh, but there is variation um, between uh, between individuals. And the fibers go in three different directions, which reflects their actions. So there's the upper part of the trapezius where the fibers are starting at the external uh, occipital protuberance and then come down and wrap around to the um, clavicle on the lateral side of the clavicle, as well as the acromion process. Um, there's middle fibers that attach to the scapular spine, as well as part of the acromion, and then the lower fibers all come together at one point. Uh, at the medial border of the scapular spine. Formally, we have, um, I'll just say the origins and insertions of the uh, trapezius. So the origins are the superior nuchal line, the external occipital protuberance, the ligamentum nuchae, and the spinous processes of C7 through T12. The insertions are the lateral one-third of the clavicle, the acromion process, and the spine of the scapula. So when you look at the upper trap, again the upper trap is attached to the external occipital protuberance and then it comes down, wraps around and gets onto the um, lateral aspect of the clavicle as well as the chromium. The middle trapezius um, is is has uh, its fibers that are transverse, they run horizontal and the lower trapezius has their fibers aiming up. So, excuse me, when they contract, the upper trapezius pulls the acromion process and clavicle back, causing elevation, and that also uh, upwardly rotates the scapula due to that attachment at the acromion process. Uh, when the middle fibers uh, are contracted, they retract, which means they pull the, the uh, sides of the um, scapula together towards the spine and then uh, the lower trapezius when it contracts it helps with depression and this is uh, significant to paraplegics who are when they move from wheelchairs are have to push down and uh, force themselves up to get out of there uh, basic scapular motions there's upward rotation um, upward rotation downward rotation protraction retraction elevation depression there's uh, great images there I'm not going to get too into that the uh, trapezius is innervated, the motor part is innervated by the accessory nerve or spinal nerve, or sorry, spinal accessory nerve or cranial nerve 11. Uh, that's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty interesting that the muscle is innervated by a cranial nerve. Its blood supply comes from the transverse cervical artery. The way I remember this is the middle of the trapezius kind of runs horizontal, which is transverse and uh, it helps with the transverse cervical artery. We're moving on to the latissimus dorsi now. The latissimus dorsi is inferior and deep to, and partially deep, I guess you could say, to the um, trapezius. So formally, it, its, its origins are the spinous processes of T7 to, T, or to L5 and the sacrum. The iliac crest and ribs of 10 through 12. Uh, 
and it inserts into the floor of the intertubular sulcus of the humerus, which is uh, which is interesting because it also uh, assists in the movement of the of the humerus. I'm sorry, can't even think right now. So the latissimus dorsi is innervated by the thoracal dorsal nerve from C6 to C8, and its actions are to extend, adduct, and medially rotate the humerus. So this is your pull-up muscle, and uh, very important when you think about it, when you do the action of a pull-up, it actually strengthens those muscles. Um, the rhomboid major, rhomboid minor, uh, it's always minor over major, so the rhomboid minor is on top of the rhomboid major, and then the uh, levator scapulae is superior to that. They all attach to the medial body of the scapula, and they all share the same uh, blood supply and innervation. So they are all innervated by the dorsal scapular nerve from C4 to C5, and they all are um, fed by the dorsal scapular artery, except they do have different actions because the rhomboids the rhomboids attach to the they well okay the rhomboids origins rather the rhomboid major origin is the spinous processes of T10 to T or T2 to T5 I'm sorry while the rhomboid minor's origin is the lower portion of the ligamentum nuchae the spinous processes of C7 to T1 so in other words these muscles are right on top of each other and they attach to the spinous processes, which are the processes that stick straight out, if you're looking at the back. And then they attach both to the medial border of the scapula between the spine and the inferior angle. At least, uh, the inferior between the spine and the inferior angle for the rhomboid major, and just along the medial border of the scapula, uh, at the spine of the sp scapula for the rhomboid minor. So when these muscles contract, they're going to do the same thing as the medial fiber or the middle fibers of the trapezius, and they're going to pull the scapula in and retract or adduct the scapula. They also elevate them because the muscles are uh, inclined at an angle. The levator scapulae, on the other hand, is attached to the uh, has its origin at the transverse processes of C1 to C4, sorry, and inserts into the upper portion of the medial border of the scapula. So Again, these all attach into the medial portion of border of the scapula. Uh, and its action, as it's in its name, is to uh, elevate the scapula. Or, yeah, it's to elevate the scapula. Okay, we've already gotten through that. The uh, thoracolumbar fascia is made up, I believe, of the latissimus dorsi, and I think he gets into more detail on that later, so I will touch on it later. Finally, the intermediate layer of the back muscles are, um, there's two of them. There's the serratus, the serratus posterior superior and the serratus posterior inferior. The uh, serratus posterior superior uh, attaches to the, uh, well, its origins are in the lower portion of the ligamentum nuchae, the spinous processes of C7 to T3, and the supraspinous ligaments. Uh, the insertion is the upper borders of the ribs, uh, of ribs 2 to 5, just lateral to their angles. So, have to get into, the rib, ana uh, into rib anatomy, but the angle of the rib um, is right before it starts to bend forward uh, anteriorly and then start to wrap around. 
So, and then, uh, so that's where they attach at that angle right before they become more uh, lateral and anterior, so interlateral. The uh, origin of the serratus posterior inferior is the spinous process. Of, spinous processes are the dog gastrectomy of T11 to L3 and the super, supraspinous ligaments. While it inserts into the lower border of the ribs 9 to 12, just lateral to their angles. So I just, I'm saying a lot of words and it's probably not making much sense. But when you picture it, when you picture it, basically imagine the muscles starting at the spinous processes and then moving across to the ribs about, mm, They, they sink down a little bit below the spinous processes they attach to. So, for example, if it attaches, the serratus posterior superior attaches to, um, it inserts into ribs uh, two, and, 2 to 5, but it starts at, its origins at the spinous process of C7, which is just above T1 and T3. So it, they actually move down two ribs and attach. So these muscles are... Uh, attaching inferiorly and angling down. The action of the serratus posterior superior is the uh, is it elevates ribs two to five. I'll go figure because that's where they attach and that's where they insert into. And the um, they're innervated by the anterior anterior rami of the upper thoracic nerves T two to T five. The reason for this is most likely due to developmental reasons. We talked about this in lecture later. But um, early in development, the anterior uh, rami most likely innervate these muscles, and the muscles just move down and move back and get into position, which is why they are not uh, innervated by the posterior rami, which we will get into later when we, when we get to the deep muscles. The serratus posterior inferior, the origin is, the, again, the spinous processes of T11 to L3, and then it, uh, they insert into the ribs of um, ribs 9 and 12 so if I remember this correctly they move up through two has to be yeah two so they move up two so they they so the serratus superior or the posterior superior move down two ribs while the superior or serratus posterior inferior move up two ribs uh, they're innervated by the anterior rami of the lower thoracic nerves, T9 through T12, and they depress the ribs and also prevent lower ribs from being elevated when the diaphragm contracts. So it kind of keeps it stable uh, when we are inhaling, I believe. No, when we're exhaling. Right. Yes, because that's the passive motion. Okay. We're now going to move into the deep back and the suboccipital region, but first the, the deep back. So uh, he's he's hitting hard on this thoracolumbar uh, fascia, and it also is, or fascia, whatever you want to say. It is one of the um, one of the learning objectives. It covers the deep muscles of the back. It's continue with the, continuous with the nuchal fascia, fascia, I'm sorry, and the uh, it's an aponeurosis of the latissimus dorsi, or the aponeurosis of the latissimus dorsi blends with it. Um, and it limits the movement of the muscle of the layers of the fascia fused together. I'm just going to say fascia. I'm sorry. I just can't help myself. 
And there's some excellent, excellent uh, diagrams on the PowerPoint, which I really can't help you with. But you will know that there is an anterior layer, a middle layer, and a posterior layer, which separate the various muscles of the back, of the deep back. So we're first going to start off with the spinal trans, transversalis group. Uh, this includes two muscles, the splenius capitis and the splenius cervicis. They help rotate the head and neck at the same time when they uh, are flexed unilaterally. They uh, formally, the splenius capitis has its origin at the lower half ligamentum nuque. The spinous processes of C7 to T4. And those insert into the mastoid process in the skull below the lateral one-third of the superior nuchal line. And they are innervated by the posterior rami of the middle, middle cervical nerves, uh, the splenius capitis is. The splenius cervicus, on the other hand, remember capitis means head, cervicus means neck. Um, the splenius cervicus has its origins in the spinous processes of T3 to T6. They insert into the transverse processes of C1 to C3, and they are innervated by the posterior rami of the lower cervical nerves. Now they both basically have the same action where they, when they flex, um, they flex together, they draw the head backwards and extend the neck. And if they, uh, um, if they work individually, they'll draw and rotate the head to the one side, which is the same side uh, that it contracts. So if the left side contracts, it's going to turn the head to the left. The rectus spinae muscles, uh, it's actually a group of three muscles. There's the iliocostalis, the longissimus, and the spinalis. The, uh, iliocostalis, or the iliocostalis is the most lateral while working in to the longissimus and the, the most medial to the spine is the spinalis. Uh, I used to remember is I love spine, which makes it, um, which makes me remember that the spinalis is closest to the spine and then the iliocostalis is the farthest out. So when these muscles move or flex bilaterally, um, they're going to extend the spine, not really flex. When they, when they contract, they're going to extend the spine. And when they unilaterally contract, they're going to laterally flex the spine to the side where resistance, uh, against resistance went upright. So, um, they're, so the, um, okay, continuing on, I'm sorry. Breaking this down, the iliocostalis, the iliocostalis has three parts. It has the cervicus, the thoracus, and the lumborum. So the cervicus attaches to the neck, the transverse processes of the neck. Um, you can go by the name. This is the, these are the, um, I guess, I guess you really can't, never mind. Uh, the thor thoracic group. Uh, is on attaches to the top six ribs one through six and the lumborum attaches to the bottom six ribs which are seven through twelve and they all stem from what looks like somewhere in the pelvis let's see where do you start iliocostalis yes in the sacrum okay back up there I'm not going to do another 19-minute video, video, so... <laughs> formally. Whenever I say formally, just expect origin insertion from Gray's is my reference. So, the origin of the iliocostalis laborum is the sacrum, spinous processes of the lumbar and lower two thoracic vertebrae in their supraspinous ligaments, and the iliac crest. So, that's really heavy in the sacrum area and the lower back. 
the insertion is into the angles of the lower six or seven ribs. The origin for the iliocastellus thoracis is the angle of the lower six ribs and inserts in the angles of the upper six ribs and the transverse processes of C7. The origin of the iliocostalis cervicus is the angles of ribs 3 to 6, and it inserts into the transverse processes of C4 to C6. Trust me, this is going to get a lot better in physio and pharmacology, where I can explain these things more, uh, less from reading from graphs and more from being able to actually explain things. I'm just listing things right now. Um, the longissimus has uh, three sections. The capitis cervicis and thoracis. The only reason I remember this is longissimus starts with L, and it's the only one, or one of the only ones, that doesn't have laborum. So it can you can uh, compare that to the iliocostalis, which does have the laborum. Um, I won't bore you with um, origin insertion with this one. And then finally, the spinalis has a thoracis, cervicus, and capitis group. Um, and he doesn't have much information on that. There's a great diagram explaining where the capitis and cervicis uh, attachment points are up at the top of the, towards the skull, the superior aspect of it. Um and how to find things. So if you start in the thoracic regions to find the longissimus and iliocastalis, uh, then you can follow the fibers up and eventually find the semispinalis and the longissimus's attachment to the capitis region, the head region, the longissimus and iliocastalis's cervicis region, which attaches in the neck, and the longissimus and the iliocastalis thoracis region, which attaches in the thoracic region. Go figure. Uh, the semispinalis group lies deep to these muscles. Just wanted to note that. And the transversal spinalis muscles are the semispinalis, the multifidus, and the uh, rotatories. When they uh, when they contract, they rotate the superior spinal segment to the opposite side. So if they flex to the left, you're going to turn to the right. I believe that's how that works. Yes. So the semispinalis lies deep to the erector spinal group. They has, it has three regions. The capitis cervicis thoracis. The muscle fibers span four to six vertebral levels. And the capitis lies over the cervices. So the capitis hides the cervices. The multifidus is deep. It lies deep to the thoracolumbar um, fascia in the lumbar region. Uh, it's important for people with chronic back problems uh, the brain trains itself not to contract those muscles, but then after a few weeks, the, as the body heals, the muscles weaken and um, kind of, quote-unquote, falls out of the program and because it hasn't been used and it won't fire, uh, the muscles won't fire and actually will fill with fat, which causes back pain. I thought that was a kind of interesting uh, clinical tidbit. So the... Uh, the multifidus, the muscle fibers span two to four vertebral levels. The largest portion is in the lumbar region, and the fibers can extend up to into the mid-thoracic region. Beautiful picture there. The rotatories, there are longest and brevis. The brevis only goes uh, one level, while the long the longest goes two. Uh, the 
I'm sorry for this awkward pause. I'm just trying to figure out what he means exactly by longest. So the origin of the rotatories is the transverse processes of lumbar thoracic and cervical vertebrae, and they insert into the spinous processes of the lumbar thoracic and cervical vertebrae, respective to origin. From what I see, they do like a zigzag zipper thing down the back. So the brevis, the brevis attaches from the transverse spine to the spinous process. Okay, yeah, to the spinous process, and then the longest uh, goes from the spinous process of whatever their uh, brevis was on, and then goes down one rib to the transverse process of the rib below. And the body turns in opposite direction when those muscles contract, as we said before. The deep segmental muscles are the levatories, uh, costarum, the interspinalis, and the intertransversary. But the only one we talk about is the levatories costarum, which elevates the ribs, and they uh, they move down one to two uh, levels, and they insist they assist with respiration. Formally, the origin is the short paired muscles arising from transverse processes of C7 to T11. The insertion is the rib below the vertebrae of origin near tubercle. The innervation... Oh, wait. We haven't gotten to the innervation yet. I'm going to cover those all last time... Or all at once. Uh, my dog is running rampant right now. I don't know why. Anyways, when it comes to the erector spinae group... It's all innervated by the same thing, the posterior rami of the spinal nerves. Again, when they act bilat when they're acting bilaterally, they extend the vertebral column and head, so that means we uh, kind of look up to the sky and lean back and behind us. And uh, as the back is flexed, it controls uh, movements via eccentric contraction. When it acts unilaterally, or when only one side works, it flexes the vertebral column laterally in, in that direction. Uh, for the transverse spinalis group, uh, they are also the well the multifidus semispinalis capitis and semispinalis cervicis as long as the rotatories are all innervated by the posterior rami of the spinal nerve. So that's pretty easy to remember. Uh, the erector spinae and all except for one of the uh, transversal spinalis groups are, is innervated by the posterior rami of the spinal nerves. The semispinalis group. Uh, extends the head and thoracic region and cervical regions of the vertebral column and rotates them contralaterally, while the multifidus stabilizes the vertebrae during local movements of the vertebral column. The rotatories stabilizes the ver vertebrae and assists with local extension and rotary movements of the vertebral column and may function as an organ of uh, proprioception. And finally, the levatories costarum is innervated by the posterior rami of C8 through T11 spinal nerves. Uh, again, so it is the posterior rami. It's just of specific ones through C8 through T11. And then their action is when they contract, they uh, elevate the ribs. When we get into the uh, suboccipital sub regions, or muscles, excuse me, we look at the posterior region, and it's right at the level of C1 and C2, uh, and they work on C1 and C2 and the skull itself, and they are named by their attachments. There are two rectus muscles and two obliquus muscles. The rectus muscles, the uh, superior rectus capitis posterior major attaches to C2, and the rectus capitis posterior minor attaches to C1. When they contract together, there's extension on C1 and C2, which is also extension of the head. And when there's unilateral contraction, there's rotation to the same side of the muscles that contract. There are also two obliquus muscles, the uh, obliquus capitis superior, which attaches the transverse process of C1 to the skull, 
and, or attaches the transverse process of C1 to the skull, while the obliquus capitis inferior um, attaches the transverse process of C1 to the spinous process of C2. And they rotate the skull in the same direction. So the way I remember this um, is when you're looking at it posteriorly, uh, the obliquus come down into, um, if you have a six-sided O where you just draw it with straight lines, so if you say you have like a, a kind of diamond at the, or a, a triangle at the top, two sides come down and then a triangle at the bottom that kind of forms a V. Uh, I remember it like that because it's the V and then the two sides up are the obliquus. Uh, this is when you're looking at it posteriorly. And then if you t put the top on, then you make an O, so it's obliquus. And then the rectus capitis minor, it's always minor over major, just like the rhomboid minor is over the rhomboid major. And it's they're the only two muscles that are left. I know it's a terrible way to remember things probably, but that's how it works. But coming out... Um, of these are the suboccipital nerve and the great occipital nerve. The suboccipital nerve uh, innervates uh, all the, uh, the all the muscles here, all four of them, and the um, suboccipital triangle is made up of the two obliques and the rectus captus major. The greater occipital nerve also comes out uh, inferior to the triangle and comes up. They are. Uh, The blood supply comes from the ver or the vertebral. Let's see, which one? I'm sorry. There's one of them is fed by the vertebral artery, then the other ones are fed by the suboccipital artery. Or is it the occipital, occipital artery rather? Yes. Okay. So the obliquus capitis superior is fed by the occipital or yes, the occipital artery, while the other three are uh, fed by the suboccipital. Or the vertebral artery, I'm sorry. Yes, so rectus capitis posterior major, obliquus capitis inferior, and rectus capitis posterior minor are all uh, fed through the blood supply of the vertebral artery, while the obliquus capitis superior is uh, fed by the occipital artery, a branch of it. And with that 30-minute lecture, I think I am done with the superficial and deep back muscles. It's better probably to review the PowerPoints for this. Again, these lectures aren't going to be as strong as the ones I will have for um, physio and farm. Those are more of my forte. I find that anatomy is more or less looking at the cadavers and kind of studying and memorizing the uh, attachments, innervation, insertion, or innervation, blood supplies, and actions on your own. But I do hope this is a good review, and I do hope at least I learned something on my trip back to Auburn.